0: Welcome to Radio ABNET.
1: Welcome to ABNET's Distributing Wisdom Podcast, where the brightest minds in the electronic components industry examine the many ways that distribution drives innovation. Our industry has evolved and grown significantly, so we're bringing together leaders who can share their wisdom as we tackle today's unique challenges and examine how our past is driving our future. On this season of Distributing Wisdom, we'll be bringing together experts from across the electronic components industry, including Avnet, to discuss how they're currently tackling the challenges we face today. I'm your host, Heather Vanna. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the dynamics around redesigning products during a component shortage. Our first guest today is James Ray. General Manager of Avnet Design Services. Welcome, James. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. To start us off, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your role at Avnet?
0: So I'm James Ray. I'm the General Manager at Avid Avnet Design Services, based in Ohio, and have been with the company probably about almost 20 years. Started off as an RF and FPGA designer engineer, and slowly made my way up into management.
1: For those who might be unfamiliar with Avnet services, can you tell me a bit more about what your team provides?
0: Sure. So, we're part of the Americas group within Avnet, and we basically provide turnkey design services for end customers based on concepts or requirements that they may have formalized to us. And then we do all the electrical engineering, the hardware design, software design, firmware design, and prototyping in order for them to get that first product prototype in their hands to validate. And then we also assist within Avnet to promote the ecosystem, other partners and business units within Avnet, and we utilize them for other additional services that the customer may want to pursue, including full end-to-end production.
1: I would imagine that there's a little bit of redesigning going on internally. Am I correct?
0: Yes. Re- redesign is definitely a, a popular topic nowadays. We, we spend a lot of time with customers kind of evaluating their situation for part availability and trying to understand how best to help them out. A lot of times that can be looking at multiple approaches, like a short-term and a long-term solution. A short-term solution might be one that doesn't impact Quite as many design groups within their company, for instance, their software group may not be impacted, but then they may want a long-term solution that's a better kind of next generation product that includes more of a architecture change to, to update it, not only for part availability, but just parts that might be getting a little long in the tooth. This a opportunity to kind of kill two birds with one stone, essentially.
1: Throughout those conversations, what are some of the best practices that you've seen?
0: Yeah, so a lot of times for the short-term approach, it's it's a part that, that's not available. And there may be an opportunity to design in another part that's in the same family, similar functionality, but a different footprint. And so we can either update the circuit board very quickly, redesign it to address that, or we can use like an interposer card approach where basically we'll develop a small interposer card They'll sit down on their main board with the same original footprint, but on the interposer card, there'll be a part that has the newer footprint that's more available or a, a newer part that's generally more attractive. That's kind of a way to abstract the part that we're trying to redesign from their existing board design so that kind of minimizes this risk. It allows her software team to get going much quicker or our software team to get going quicker in order to prove out that design. So that's that's usually the, the approach that people like to do for a quick kind of development jump start. And then in parallel with that, the, the long-term approach is more of a in-depth change of, of what they have currently and, and that you know is a much longer design cycle typically.
1: What would you say to customers who are looking to stay competitive while undergoing this redesign process? How do they stay ahead of their competitors?
0: Yeah, so it, it's really, you know, one, once they identify the parts that need to be addressed or replaced, is once you have a certain confidence factor that you've achieved, you want to immediately place the order for parts, get in that queue as early as possible, minimize that time. That's one, one thing that you can do to to get kind of leg up on the competition. And then also, you know, just starting to think ahead beyond the prototype stage to the production build, as well as a pilot build in between there. So the more heads up on part procurement that you, you can do uh, and get that chain going and getting it established, then once that design cycle is complete, which you know can take months to, to complete, as well as compliance and things like that that have to take place, Those are all things that you can kind of get lined up so that you can minimize that production downtime. uh, And that's really the ultimate goal that they're after.
1: There are a lot of internal as well as external parties to consider when mapping out the redesign process. Can you talk about the common roadblocks you have encountered?
0: Certainly. So, you know, obviously the amount of disruption to the existing architecture of the key hardware components that are already part of the product the less that you can impact, the better, of course. But there's certain components that if you change those, there's a huge ripple effect. Some of those could impact software. You know, that, that's a huge piece that is kind of overlooked is the magnitude of disruption that can occur from uh, changing a processor or an FPGA. So planning ahead and getting the initial assessment to evaluate, you know, does it make sense to do a small change or a real big change? Initially. The the other part is components related to RF, you know, the whole aspect of performance requirements or compliance of, of the product itself, all those things can introduce risk. So minimizing that as much as you can or getting an understanding initially is really critical so that you can make good decisions. A lot of times that means working with evaluation boards, things like that to make sure that the change and the amount of risk is, is better understood.
1: You talked about the various things you need to consider, but what about customers that don't hold all the IP of their embedded technology? What do you need to consider when working with external partners in this case?
0: Yeah, so, so that's really the big tough situation that we, we uncover with some customers is they've partnered with a contract manufacturer that may retain all the IP so that they retain the rights to do the production exclusively. And so if they're in that situation where they don't have the IP, the things that they need to anticipate are basically, you know, what kind of documentation is available on the product? Do they have a requirement specification that, that can drive a partner so that they understand, you know, where the risk items are of the existing design? Any kind of ancillary documentation that can be provided to a partner will help them understand the risk areas and then get better estimates for completion. And that's really what they're after is. Getting a better idea of what's a realistic, realizable schedule that they can count on. So, as far as our design service group, we we typically turn over the IP after we've completed the project. That's part of our contract process, but not all design firms are th- are that way. So, that's something to kind of look for in, in a partnership. Is are they meeting your your long-term needs, not just your short-term need, um, by providing that flexibility to get it manufactured anywhere, to have those design files under your control, to enable the ability to make changes in the future very quickly in-house. Uh, so you don't have to go outside. You don't have to depend on their availability. You can make quick little delta changes uh, within your company.
1: It sounds like there's a lot that goes into the redesign process, especially when you're considering competitors. It also seems that a serious conversation needs to be had on short-term trade-offs and the impact on long-term strategy. Does this conversation happen often?
0: Yeah, that, that's really where we like to start. is kind of a, a what we call a phase zero evaluation, where we try to understand the timelines, the the, the understood magnitude of the effort from the customer's aspect, and make sure that it all aligns with you know budgetary constraints, schedule constraints, things like that, risk constraints and that's where we we start the conversation there just to make sure everybody's on the same page and then once we're past that phase, we basically have a, a nice clear execution path that we can work very efficiently towards and communication is key to keep everything transparent and, and understood you know it's a tough situation with with the volatility of the component availability market so even prototypes of small quantities can be, a challenge sometimes and it requires some patience to really understand that the parts can be available one day and then all of a sudden the next day they're gone and we're looking at brokerage firms to try and find components. It's a real challenge. So you have to identify that contingency upfront and make sure it's included in your schedule estimates.
1: On today's episode, we're joined by two additional guests from Benchmark Electronics, Michael Lucia, Global Director of Supply Chain Solutions for Benchmark's aerospace and industrial sectors, and Peter Levenstein, Senior Manager of Design Engineering within Benchmark's North American Engineering Services. Michael and Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Can you both introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do at Benchmark? Michael, why don't you kick us off?
2: I'm Michael Lucia, the Director of Global Supply Chain Solutions for Benchmark, sometimes called Supply Chain Architect. I think I like that title a little bit better. When you tell people uh, you're the solutions guy, they, they have a lot of questions for you. So what I do is, is I, I work with our new and, and some of our larger existing customers to help them uh, customize and, and architect their their supply chains, listen to their, their concerns, highlight any, any risks that, that we might see. And essentially design a future state, whether that's you know coming over to, to benchmark as a new customer or to to help them improve a, a strategic initiative that you know maybe they're they've been doing business with us for a while.
3: My name is Peter Levenstein. I'm a senior manager of design engineering. I have a group of 14 electrical engineers and six PCD designers, all located in Minnesota. And we work on different designs, range from medical to industrial to airspace and defense.
1: Wonderful. Thank you both. Mike, I'll start with you again, if that works. So can you talk about how Benchmark approaches conversations around redesign with your customers?
2: So if they're approaching me about redesign, it's probably not the first conversation we're having. They they start with with Peter if they were going into the discussion or the relationship thinking redesign. But when you're talking to the supply chain guy, what, what tends to come up is we go in and we, we quote your bill of materials. We identify what the lead times are, and, and we get a look at what parts have constraints around them. And that tends to lead to conversations around, what do you mean you can't get the parts? Uh, I don't have any, you know, have you looked everywhere? <laughs> and yeah, you know, typically we have, by, by that point, we've got a good sense of what's available in distribution. We've looked at our, our own excess and obsolete. And you know, in some cases, maybe we've even looked at, are there drop-in replacements that, you know, maybe they haven't considered, which naturally could evolve into, you know, a, a more technical conversation with, with Peter or even our components engineering team.
1: Thanks, Mike. Peter, can you talk to this as well? What sort of questions are you seeing from an engineer's perspective?
3: Sure. So typically, I guess historically, customers come to us for a redesign if, you know, they want to add more features, right? They just want to have a better product. Sometimes there's a Issue is component obsolescence, so you need to redesign for that. However, lately, with the increased lead times and availability of components, we are getting a lot more requests to look into redesigning because no parts are available. So once all of the other avenues are exhausted through supply chain, then it comes down to engineering to see if the design can be changed. Maybe they're you know drop-in replacements, but not functional equivalent. That's the easiest path. Maybe they're functional equivalent part, but you need to actually respin the board, right? So those are the conversations that we're having with you know, our design customers.
1: Yes, and I would imagine those conversations differ between new and existing customers. Can you talk about the differences you see there?
2: So uh, you know, with with new with new customers today, you know, kind of compared to to what we see in, in the past, where these conversations around part availability, they were they were one-offs. It was a you know a component or two on the bomb. And if it's one or two parts, it's it's not too hard to work around that. And maybe sometimes it did lead to some some redesigns, especially if it's a new customer and it's, it's an NPI. Today we're having that conversation at scale. You know, one of the one of the first things I want to know when I get a an RFQ or I'm sitting down with a new customer is what are your, what are your milestone dates? When do you want to be in production? When do you need? initial units for qualification or environmental testing and i'll kind of measure that out in weeks okay well we'll draw the red line everything below this if i ordered it right now according to what the the oems or our franchise distributor partners like avnet are telling us we're not going to get it in time and you know the the, the look on the face when the eyes open up and, and they realize they've got a problem between new and old i would say it's probably more different between industries Aerospace and defense and medical, their hands are a little bit more tied with going to the broker markets. The, the redesign path to an extent is oftentimes a, a better solution for them. What I mean by that is, is are, if their design is based around a, a, a chipset, they're not going to want to do a complete respin due to part availability. But if there are other components on the board, passives that maybe have, or even actives that maybe have a slightly different footprint, but are in the same product family, are qualified to the same specifications. It's an easier change for them, even if it is a footprint difference and do, does require some some redesign, whereas on the, the less regulated markets like industrial or telecom, the, the broker buys have, have really been a lifesaver.
3: On the design side of things, with new designs, right? You know, there are multiple paths we take on that sometimes we may design something that can accommodate multiple parts, multiple component footprints. We can choose later what components are available, right? And other ways of doing it would be to actually create multiple designs based on different components. Both of those options obviously add cost from the NRE perspective and from the actual BOM perspective as well. I guess the other thing that we have been doing lately is buying components at risk. So even before the design is complete, we buy at least the components that have the longest lead times that are at the highest risk of not being available on time.
1: Absolutely. Having more options seems to be a consistent theme that we've been hearing about across a number of our episodes this season. So Peter, can you talk a bit more about how your role as the engineer who's designing these products has shifted over the last three to five years? And more recently, especially, given the disruptions like the pandemic and the chip shortage?
3: Sure. So historically, we would be designing either you know, for performance. That's the main goal. The, uh, design has certain requirements, and we want to meet them. Another aspect is design for cost. While you want to maintain performance, obviously, you know, in some industries, anyway, cost is probably the highest requirement. So that's what we are used to as engineers. We want to get the best design out the door, or you know, if if the cost is important, you know, then we go out and see what compromises we can make. Whereas with part shortages, we need to learn to, to design for components. Really, that's what we call DFC, right? Design for components, and actually investigating parts that have the shortest lead times that may be in stock at distribution for prototypes going this, you know, multiple paths for, uh, you know, on the, on the design. So you can minimize the risk. I mean, we are still learning this process. It hasn't been easy. And of course, you know, it costs our customers as well. You know, we try to minimize the risk, but ultimately our customers have to be able to pay for it and be aware that the costs are going to be higher.
1: Definitely. And I'd imagine the conversation around cost has shifted slightly moving from a focus on the cost of the initial redesign versus the cost associated with the risk of components being unavailable. Are you having those kinds of conversations on the design side of things, or would you handle that conversation further down the line?
3: I think it would be both.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how that today, that that cost conversation is is certainly bridging supply chain and and engineering probably more more than than ever, especially as as we, we look at, you know, is there a solution to help get something in hand, to prove a concept? And then what is it going to be when we get into, into production, right? A, a lot of times you can, you can find parts in, in a desk drawer if you need, uh, or, you know, from a broker or, you know, a whole couple of pieces left in a, in a tape, uh, enough to do some breadboarding, some, some prototyping and prove your concept. But, you know, assuming you're doing it the right way and, and you're taking it through the, you know, a new product development process and you're engaging with your CM very early, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast and, and you know, you're looking to launch a product in the next year, um, yeah, now is the time to start talking to your to your CM because of these issues. Uh, the lead times that we see, they're they're 52 weeks plus on a lot of the components. Still, they've come in some, but it's still sitting around that that one year mark for a, a good amount of the bills and materials that I analyzed. And uh, what does that mean? It, it's it's really hard to plan. Like, how do you how do you plan a, a year out? Okay, so so yeah, you did your prototype, got your parts, everything works, you're happy with it, and now you want to do a pilot production run. Well. How that would work in the past is, okay, you throw it over the wall, production is going to plan it at lead time, and it's their job to make sure the parts arrive on time, so that they can meet their production schedule and and you keep your customers happy. But what we see today now is, well, parts are 52 weeks and longer, earlier part of this year, it was like 52 weeks and growing, but you, you get into these conversations with customers around material liability, because Yeah, they'll forecast for you a year out, maybe even two, but you know, one of the, one of the big things you need to then talk about is, well, when is that firm and, and how does that liability transfer? Right. And I I think that's, that those have been challenging conversations, but customers also recognize it's necessary just because of the environment. But, but yeah, so I I think cost is, is kind of shared both places nowadays. And and they, they have to understand that both in in engineering and from a supply chain perspective and kind of keep each other tied out uh, more so than, than ever. I think the, the majority of the customers that I talk to, they have a product today and they're either building it themselves or they're with another contract manufacturer and maybe they can't scale, they're not big enough, whatever the issue is, and they're coming to benchmark and they wanna start building in three to six months. So it, it's always it's always a challenging conversation around material availability. The, the more prepared customers, those are the ones that are like, hey, uh, I've got a concept, Maybe I've, I've, done a, I've done a prototype or some some breadboarding. Um, this is my, my product plan and how I want to launch it sometime next year. We can offer them a lot more. They can have conversations with, with Peter about how to design their bomb. We can identify within a couple of days, hey, here's the parts we'd recommend. You should go place on order today, even though you're not going to be building anything for a year. We call that a, like a planning bomb. It's like just a flat bomb. You don't have to structure it, but it allows us to bring the material in. So we have a kit for you. And and ultimately, if it doesn't work out, we can we can give you that. And and ideally, it does. And we'll be prepared with those long lead parts when you have a firm design, you don't have any TV TVDs on your bomb, and you're ready to issue shoot, to shoot purchase orders.
1: Definitely, Peter. Can you expand on that a bit more and talk about the best practices from a design perspective? Or in other words, is there a difference between best practices and reality?
3: Well, I think, you know, there are a lot of things to consider when redesigning. Maybe new designs are a little easier. Just redesign perspective, Mike already touched on, maybe medical or airspace customers, right, who cannot really do significant redesigns. Some of that also applies to just kind of general populace, I guess, because one thing to consider, you know, if you need to put in, say, a new microcontroller or a new processor in the design, because the one or the family in particular, of the processors or microcontrollers that you originally had is not available, it's not just changing the hardware, it's also potentially changing the software, completely redesigning the software to target that new architecture. That's a challenge and that's something customers certainly need to consider as they approach the redesign.
1: I want to thank James, Michael, and Peter again for taking the time to discuss the important dynamics around redesign and what companies should consider moving forward. To learn more about distributing wisdom and read more about this topic, please visit abnet.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. Until next time.